just lay all that we are at your feet. Feet that are scarred by nails. Feet that have had blood soaking down them because of your love for each one of us. Lord, receive us just as we are. Forgive us. Make us whole once again. Renew us with an incredible, unending love of yours. Reshape, recharge us so that we can stand in this world, so we can stand and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, we give you this time. We give you our praise. We adore your precious name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning as we watch the screens. The mission of the church matters. That's the deal. The mission of the church matters. That's why we're taking a couple Sundays here to look at what it means to be the church today. To rechurch, rethink was last week. Just rethinking about what's the focus. What are we about? What does the church need to be about? What does Christ church need to be about? And uh, hopefully you're here last week and you all got the main point. The main point is captured by all these blue cans up there about what Christ church is about. We Recycle. Thank you. Just read the can. It's that easy, right? We recycle. That's what we do, right? We, we take people who are far away from God and, and we get them introduced to Christ and get their lives in a better place and we get them on target and on purpose and moving to be an incredible uh, impact uh, person in the world for Christ, right? Well, today we move forward and we get to recharge, right? And I brought, I brought a battery with me today to kind of give us uh, something to think about. I mean, batteries are pretty awesome things. Uh, they're especially great when you get in your car and you turn the key and the 
and the car just fires right up, you know, and I mean the battery's just kind of charging things, and boom, away you go, all is good, right? But how do you feel when you get in the car and you turn the key and all you get is click, 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 click? You know that feeling, right? Am I the only one in the room that had a battery dead in the car? Come on, I mean, how frustrating is that, right? Totally frustrating. Why? Well, the battery's just out of oomph, you know? It's out of that oomph. And it just got, you got to get it someplace, pull it out, and get it someplace, and get it recharged, right? You got to get recharged. I mean, the reality is that that's the way it is for us in our lives, and that's the way it is for us in the church. That, that God is about the business of recharging our lives, re-energizing our lives, refocusing our lives, and he does the same thing for the church. He does the same thing for the church. If we look at it, and we go back to Matthew 16, where we looked at last week, we started last week, and I underlined that phrase that says, I will build my church. Last week we concentrated on the last half that said my church, right? That the church exists for Jesus, it doesn't exist for us, it's all about what he wants in life, it's all about his purposes for us, it's not about us, right? Well, today, look at the first half of that phrase, right? First half says, I will build. I will build. Notice it's process. I will. It's going to take time. I will build. It's not like Jesus just called together 12 disciples and said, Okay, guys, you now are the church. You're built. I'm done. It's over. Here's the keys. No, he is in the process of always building his church from generation to generation. He is in the process of always building that church. And for us, as we experience it in life, as we look over the generations, we can see that Christ has been building his church, but for us it comes in waves. It's like a wave that he builds his church, and then we kind of get comfortable for a while. And then it needs a recharge. It, it needs to get re-energized. It needs a a recharge to get back focused and back energized in accomplishing the works of the kingdom of heaven. If we look at uh, Isaiah 58, the Bible tells us that's the way it's going to happen for us. It says, I'll always guide you. I'll satisfy your needs in a land that is baked by the sun. I'll make you stronger. You will be like a garden that has plenty of water. You'll be like a spring whose water never runs out. That's all good stuff, isn't it? Now look at this one in 12. Your people will rebuild the cities that were destroyed long ago. And look at this. And you will build again on the old foundations. What are we going to do on the old foundations? Build again. Recharge. Renew. Right? We're going to build again. We're going to build again, though, on the old foundations. This is what God has been doing from generation to generation to generation to generation. He's been rebuilding, recharging the church with each new generation. We can go back to the foundations and take a look at how that happened, right? Starts out, Jesus calls 12 disciples together. By the time he's uh, crucified and resurrected, he probably has in Jerusalem about 120 followers, just a guesstimate, but he probably has about 120 followers at least in Jerusalem at the time of his death and resurrection. And then we looked at the book of Acts last week and we saw that on Pentecost... When the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, Peter preached his great message, and it said there that 3,000 people uh, received Christ on that day. Remember? Then we switched over to chapter 4 of the book of Acts. That was in chapter 2. Then we switched to chapter 4, 
in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, some time had passed and it said now the church was up to 5,000 and more people in Jerusalem. And then by chapter 7 in the book of Acts, an amazing thing happens. In chapter 7, we have this experience of Stephen being stoned. In chapter 7, persecution is unleashed on the church. Now here's a principle you need to remember. And this applies to the church and it applies to our own lives, our own personal lives. Whenever the kingdom of heaven starts to become successful in the world, whenever the kingdom of heaven starts becoming successful in your life, whenever the church starts becoming successful in reaching people, in changing lives and hearts, in recycling people, the evil one will try to destroy it. You hear that? As your life moves forward, as you get recharged in the gospel of Christ, as you become more and more like Christ, the evil one will try to push back in your life. As the church becomes more effective in recycling people's lives, the evil one will push back and try to destroy the church. Now here's the amazing thing. When Stephen was stoned, the evil one tried to stop the church right there in its tracks. The amazing thing is that it became the opportunity for the church to multiply. It became, before that they were just adding, adding 3,000, adding a couple thousand more, 500, adding more, adding more. By 38 A.D., it's probably about when Stephen was, uh, was stoned, in 38 A.D., we estimate there was about 20,000 Christians in Jerusalem by that time. So Jesus dies, we got 38 years. By that time, about 20,000 Christians. When Stephen was stoned, those Christians were dispersed throughout the world. God used this oppression of the church to spread the church throughout the world. To give you an example of the impact that had, about 12 Christians from that persecution who, who got dispersed, about 12 Christians ended up in the city of Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the then known world. They had a population of about 500,000 people. Okay, So this was in like 38 A.D. We estimate by 100 A.D., by 100 A.D., 20% of the population of that city had become Christ followers. Did I tell you how many it started with? About a dozen people. About a dozen people. By 100 A.D., 20% of the population is following Jesus Christ. That's like 100,000 people are following Christ. See, too often we look at the New Testament and like we look at Paul's letters and he writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, you know, and we read the letter and we say, oh, that, that's just cool, a great, nice little letter to that nice little group of Christians all gathered together there in Ephesus. No, there's probably 20,000 people who are following Christ in Ephesus. In Thessalonica, he writes to the church in, in uh, Thessalonica, Thessalonians. He writes to them. There's probably 30,000 Christians in Thessalonica at the time. What's happening? Jesus Christ is building his church. That's what he does. He keeps building his church. It keeps moving forward. It keeps expanding. It keeps reaching 
more human hearts in spite of great persecution. And that's what happened. When the church was dispersed, the persecution did not stop. In this period, and I listed them for you, we got ten great persecutions that took place under the emperors in that period. And if you look at the dates, starting with Nero in the late first century, so that's, you know, like when Stephen was stoned and onward, right? The late first century, you can see it went on for over 300 years where Christians were being persecuted uh, by the empire, right? And I've got like four pages of notes up here of experiences of early Christians who were Christ followers who were persecuted by the church during this time period. For instance, there's the disciple John, right? John is the last disciple who saw Jesus face to face. He is the last disciple to die. We know that he was persecuted and he was finally exiled to the island of Patmos. And he probably died somewhere around 100 uh, A.D., right? He writes the book of Revelation, and then shortly after that, somewhere 100 A.D. or beyond, um, uh, he dies. But what's, what difference did he make in the world? Well, not only did he give us uh, the book of Revelations, but he also discipled a guy named Ignatius. Now, who the heck is Ignatius? Well, remember now, after John, there is no longer any person, any Christ follower, who has actually seen Jesus face to face. All these Christians now, who've been dispersed, they are just following and believing the word. Ignatius was discipled by uh, John. Ignatius was a pastor in an area where there was great persecution. It was under the reign of uh, Trojan. Trajan. Uh, Trajan cast Ignatius into prison. He had him scourged. They took pins, laid him on the table, took pincers, and ripped his flesh back little by little. Just for fun, they took some splinters of wood, soaked him in oil, put those into the uh, flesh that they had rolled back, and lit him on fire. Sound like a good gig? Yeah, that's Ignatius. He heard the gospel of Christ, and he was ready to give up his life. As he was dying, Ignatius said, I am the wheat of Christ. I am going to be ground with the teeth of wild beasts, that I may be found pure bread. That's Ignatius. Ignatius, what else did he do? Ignatius discipled a guy named Polycarp. What do we know about Polycarp? Polycarp was also a leader in the church. He was a leader in the church, martyred in 155 A.D., and he was about 86 years old when he was martyred. He had discipled others in the church, spread the gospel mightily. He is arrested by the Roman police. He's taken before the, uh, the governor. He's uh, told to recant, to give up his faith. And Polycarp says these words, I have served my Lord Jesus for 86 years, and in no way has he dealt unjustly with me. So how can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And he too was persecuted and ultimately uh, fed to the lions. That was Polycarp. John, Ignatius, Polycarp, and I've got a whole list of other names. People like Justin Martyr, Concordus, Perpetua, Cecilia, Centurius, Raphinia, Lawrence, and the name goes on and on. And even, even followers of Christ who were in the Roman Empire in positions of leadership. Here's a great story about how the influence of the gospel 
overcomes the things of the world. The Thebian, Thebian legion in A.D. 303, somewhere in there, under the reign of uh, uh, Decletian, there was about 6,000 Christian soldiers in the legion. When they discovered there were Christians in the legion and they refused to bow before the emperor and worship the emperor, one in ten were killed in the legion. So every tenth soldier was killed. They then went to the legion and said, now bow before your emperor, and they refused to bow and they refused to worship, so guess what they did? They killed another one in ten. After they killed that wave of one in ten, there was nearly 5,000 remaining, and they still stood for Christ until another legion came and cut them to pieces. Isn't that awesome? How could they do that? They could do it because Christ is building his church. And the gospel tells us in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And we're built on the foundations of that truth. Those are the foundations. That's the recharge that God was doing in the church to build his church. The Christians were willing to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is the most important person in my life, and I will give up everything, including my life, to serve him. That is the recharge of the church. And you look at that and you say, "That's well, okay, that's cool. Must have stopped there with all those early Christians. Nope. We can jump ahead to the recharge that took place in 1361 with John Wycliffe, or 1414 with John Huss, or 1517 with Martin Luther. In 1361, John Wycliffe translated the Bible for the first time into the English language. Anybody in the room ever read the Bible in English? You know why? Because of John Wycliffe. You know what happened to him? He was killed so you could read the Bible. John Wycliffe gave up his life so that you could go home today, open up your Bible, and read it in English. Why? Because Jesus Christ was building his church. John Huss, 1414, he discovered the truth in reading the Bible that one could be saved by grace alone. And he started preaching the gospel of Christ and preaching the gospel of Christ. And many were coming to faith and the authorities got disturbed about it. So they took him outside of the city, they tied him to a stake, and they burn him to death. Martin Luther, 1517, he decided he was going to stand up for Christ, and so he pounded the 95 Thesis onto the castle church door. He was called to the Diet of Worms in the city of Worms to con be confronted by Emperor Charles. Luther thought he was going to go there and debate all these discoveries, all these principles of truth that he discovered in reading the Bible. Instead, he shows up. Emperor Charles is there. Emperor Charles just simply looks at him and says, Martin Luther, are you ready to recant your faith? Luther said, give me 24 hours to pray. 24 hours later, he came back. He stood before Emperor Charles. Emperor Charles looked at him and said, listen, are all these writings your writings and teachings? They had a table full of his books. He looked at the table and he said, yes, those are all mine, but actually you're missing a few. How cool is that? The emperor said, Martin Luther, are you ready to recant all of your teachings and everything that you believe in these books? Martin Luther took a deep breath and he says, I cannot and I will not recant. My conscience is captured by the gospel of Christ. 
I can do no more. Here I stand. Amen. What did he do? He stood up and put his life on the line so that you and I could gather in this room today and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's Jesus Christ building his church. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he's going to be the same tomorrow. And it didn't stop there. It came to this country, to the New World. In the 1700s, we had the first Great Awakening under guys like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield and John Wesley, where they stood up for the gospel of Christ. They preached sermons that turned hearts. And during that time, when the population of the New World was probably around 300,000 people, during that time, 30 to 40,000 people received Christ for the first time in their life. There was 150 churches that existed at that time. Those churches became packed with people. They were so packed, they established another 150 new churches in that time. And beyond that, they established 51 new Christian colleges that were devoted to a single purpose, to train young people in the gospel of Christ to be pastors and teachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They stood in their time and they sacrificed in their time because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same tomorrow. And it didn't stop there. The church got recharged again with the second great awakening in the Pentecostal revival. With the second great awakening, you had the amazing, amazing experience of people like the president of Yale University. One of those universities was established for the gospel of Christ, but 100 years later, none of the students... None of the students were proclaiming Christ. And so the president of the college, a grandson of uh, John White Whitfield, um, he preached a series of lectures. And in these lectures, the title was, Is the Bible True? And as a result of those lectures, the student body got recharged and got on fire for the gospel of Christ. It went so far that there was this guy named uh, Peter Cartwright. Peter Cartwright went to a camp meeting that came out all this. He went to a camp meeting from the Second Great Awakening. And at that camp meeting, he gave his life to Christ and became a preacher. And he became a hell and, hellfire and brimstone preacher. You remember those guys? Hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher, right? During his ministry, he baptized, get this, he baptized 12,000 people. Not a bad career, hey? 12,000 people. The story goes that he was preaching at a revival outside Washington, D.C., and the president of the United States, Andrew Jackson, decided that he would come to the revival. They got word the president was going to come. So some of the local preachers met with Cartwright, and they said, Now, you know, Pastor Cartwright, the president's going to be here. You've got to dial it back a little bit, okay? Just kind of dial it down a little bit, all right? So the time came for, uh, for the revival meeting, and, of course, uh, Andrew Jackson showed up as promised. Peter Cartwright got up in the, uh, in the pulpit and began to preach. He said, I understand the President of the United States, Andrew Jackson, is, is with us today. I've been asked to guard my remarks, but the truth is this. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent. How cool is that? Well, how could he do that? Because he was captured by the gospel of Christ. You want to know what's even more awesome? Andrew Jackson, the President of the United States, comes to Cartwright after the service is over, looks him in the eye, shakes his hand, and says, Sir, if I had an army of men like you, I could whip the world. And guess what? 
Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He's the same today. And He'll be the same tomorrow. He has an army just like that. And it's sitting in this room. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to hear this morning, it's our turn. This is our time. We're built on the foundations of everything that I've shared with you this morning. We're built on those foundations. But Jesus Christ is building His church and He's recharging His church. That's what He does because He's the same yesterday and He's the same today and He's the same today. And today is our turn to be those people who stand up in the world and say, Jesus Christ is the most important person in our lives. That's what He does. He recycles lives and He recharges lives and He raises up lives so that we can stand before the world. If you go to Second Chronicles 7, it says, But they make themselves low in my sight if they just humble themselves. If they pray and they look to me, if they just pray and they seek me, and they turn away from all their evil ways, they give up all the bad habits, all the old stuff, then I will listen to them from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. After all, they are my people. Jesus is the same yesterday. He's the same today. He'll be the same tomorrow. And He is ready to heal your life. He's ready to recharge your life. He builds His church, and He's ready to recharge whatever it is that needs to be recharged in your life. If your marriage isn't where it needs to be, if you surrender that and you seek Jesus Christ in your marriage, He is ready and able to recharge your marriage. If your life, if your work life isn't where it needs to be, Jesus Christ is ready to recharge your career. If your relationships aren't where they need to be, Jesus Christ is ready to recharge those relationships because that's what He does. He builds His church by building us individually into those people like those in our foundation who stand up before the world and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. I will not. I cannot recant. I can captured by the gospel. I can do nothing else. That's what it means to be recharged that we become those people who recharge the face of the earth. And it applies to this church. It applies to Christ's church. i got to tell you, Christ's church is here to be an impact church. If you're looking for a cozy, comfortable place just to kind of sit and hang out and feel good about yourself, go find one down the street. Because Christ's church is here to be a recharged church. Our church needs, the greater church needs Christ's church to step up, step out, and make a difference in this world. You may not know this, but our church, our greater church, we are closing churches all over the city because they're just dwindling down to nothing and they can't survive. Christ church is probably only one of three churches in the entire greater Milwaukee in our church that's even growing. We're the number one fastest growing church in the greater Milwaukee area for our tradition. Why? Because God is looking to us. He's looking to us. This is our time. This is our opportunity to stand up and be committed and make a difference for Christ. 
You see, the easy part, the easy part is for us to say, yes, I'll come to worship every week. The easy part is for us to say, yes, I'll give away 10% of everything I have. The easy part for us is to say, sure, I'll read the Bible every day. I'll get in a small group. That's the easy part. The foundational part is standing up and saying, Jesus Christ is the most important person in my life, and I am ready to give up everything. I will not and I cannot recant my faith. That's the foundation. And remember, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He's the same today. And He'll be the same tomorrow. What does it mean? It means there is a whole generation out in front of us that is waiting for us to make that stand. How awesome would it be if generations from now, somebody's using some kind of media like we are this morning, something real fancy to reach the world of its day, and somewhere on that overhead, somewhere on that slide, there's a note that says, and in 2012, Christ Church stood up, stood out, and made a difference in the world. And that's why we exist. It's our turn. It's our time to get recharged. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we ask that we would just have that incredible opportunity to be your church, to stand up for the gospel in this time, to not be fearful, but to to move forward confidently in you and just trusting you are the same yesterday, you're the same today, and you're going to be the same tomorrow. And that we can be recharged and build on those foundations, those foundations of sacrifice given by so many so that we could live for the gospel today. Father, recharge these people, recharge this church, and let us stand. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.